Good morning, Canopy family. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's really good to be with you this morning. I am grateful for an opportunity to open God's word together. In just a moment, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 as part of our Finding Freedom in the Wilderness series. Um, The basic idea behind this series is that it's one thing to be set free, and it's another thing entirely, though, to live free, to live as if that's actually true. You see, God has set his people free from slavery to sin and death, and he's given us a new name and a new identity. And now we have to learn to live into what is already true of us. And uh, the point of this series is that that process of learning often happens in the wilderness, that God leads his people into the unknown where he begins to work out those old identities and and work new freedom and new life and new uh, identity into them. Uh, And that is what we see happening right now. In this global wilderness season, we see that what God wants to do is set his people increasingly free. He wants, us to teach, he wants to teach us more and more to be who we already are for our sakes and for the sake of the world. Um, but it occurs to me as I've been thinking about this over the past few weeks that that is not a foregone conclusion. In other words, just because we're in the wilderness does not mean that we're going to arrive at freedom on the other side of this. You know, there are lots of roads that lead through the wilderness and lots of places that they lead and not all of them are freedom. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there is one road that leads to life and it's narrow and few find it. Uh, And so as we think about this wilderness season, that's got me wondering, how do we know that we're walking the right road? How do we know that on the other side of this, we arrive at a place of increasing freedom? Um, Because we see in the book of Exodus, that even though God's people had his very presence guiding them as a pillar of fire and, a, and as a cloud, and they had Moses speaking to them, to them the words of God, they still, they still over and over again lived out of their old identities. Uh, kind of in their minds and their hearts, they were still slaves in Egypt, even though they were free. And I realize that the same can be true of us, that even though we have the Holy Spirit guiding us, we may still find ourselves walking the wrong road through this wilderness season and and may arrive then at a place that we don't want to arrive, at a destination that's not freedom. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we know that the road we're walking leads to freedom? And this is a really important question at Canopy because for us, uh, freedom is not just an abstraction. This is not just spiritual language that we use. We actually want to see it happen. We want it to be tangible and measurable in our community and, and through our community to those around us. We want to be able to point and say, ah, I see freedom happening there and there and here. And we want to see it. So how do we know that we're walking the road that gets us where we want to go? And that, my friends, is a navigational question. Uh, and to, to, to do that, I want to call on kind of a a principle of navigation called triangulation that's been used for hundreds of years, maybe more, uh, that basically uses three points to calculate where you are and if you're going in the right direction. Um, And those three points, you know, for us today on this conversation, we find in the book of Colossians chapter three. Uh, Verse one says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, before we get to our three navigational points, um, Paul lays out um, exactly what we've been talking about over the past several months, which is that your identity in Christ is already secure. It's already yours. Notice he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, past tense. 
This is already true of you. And it's important that we remember that our journey into freedom is not about becoming something that we are not, but about becoming something that we already are. In other words, it's a journey not into identity, but out of identity. You see how there's a difference there. It's not about striving to become something. Um, it's about living in who we already are. Um, Paul says you have been raised with Christ. That's true of you. Now you need to act as if it's true. You need to think as if it's true. You need to change the ways you think from the earthly ways to heavenly ways of thinking. Um, the picture I get in my mind is that, you know, we're all orphans living on the streets. And on the streets, there are ways that you have to think and act in order to get by. But then the king shows up and says, okay, you're adopted, you're mine, your new home, your address is the palace on the hill. Uh, but now we have to learn to live as if our new address is the palace on the hill. You know, we're still going to have muscle memory and habits from the old life. And it's really important that we don't carry those from the streets into the palace and then call them royal. You see, that's, that's what I see happening uh, all too often in my own life and in the world around me is I see Christians who are still thinking in old ways. They, they have habits of thinking that come from um, all sorts of places, whether that's family of origin or the schools they attended or the friends they hung out with, that when they become Christian, they then baptize those things, those opinions and those worldviews and those ways of thinking and call them Christian. Uh, when in fact, they are still from the streets. They are not royal. And when that happens, we not only lose out on our own capacity for freedom, but we lose the capacity to extend freedom to the world around us. We lose our unique prophetic voice. Jesus wants to use his church to save the world. The reality, though, is if we want to participate with him in that work, we have to live as if we are now royal, as if we are now free. We have to get our mind off of earthly things and on heavenly things. And the question today is, how do we know that that is what is happening? How do we know that we're walking that road, that we're living out of our new identity and not out of our old identity? And here's where Paul gives us our three navigational points. The three points are these, where you were, where you are, and where you're going, okay? So that's how we're gonna walk through these. The first one is this, where did this journey begin? Where were you? And he says, this is where it started. For you died, <laughs> you died. So this journey to freedom started with our death. Now I know that sounds heavy, but it's really important that we start here because if we don't start at the right starting point, we will never get to the right destination. If you lie to your GPS and tell it that you're somewhere other than where you are, you will never get where you need to go. Even a slight change of trajectory will cause us to miss our mark by miles. And it's vital that we understand that our life in Christ begins with our death. See, we talked often about how Jesus came uh, to free us from any power that would oppress or enslave us. But what we haven't talked about nearly often enough, and this is my fault, is that we are complicit in those systems of oppression. We're not victims of a tyrannical system. We are, our, uh, in fact, ourselves the tyrants. We're not simply suffering under the empire. We're a part of it. And the Bible makes this clear time and time again in, in verse after verse and passage after passage that we were not innocent sufferers before Jesus found us, but rather that we were part of a system that created suffering. Uh, one of the verses that stands out to me is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul says, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. I used to love that passage so much. 
um, because the NIV mistranslated it in the older versions. It used to say this in the old version of the NIV. It said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And the picture I got in my mind when I read that translation of the passage was that God is this conquering king and we are his army of faithful soldiers walking through the city in this victory parade. The problem, of course, uh, I, I discovered when the NIV uh, you know, retranslated in 2011, um, they changed it to say, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And that bothered me. So I looked it up. I started doing some commentary work. I said, what are they doing here? Uh, and the truth is they were making it more historically accurate. They were translating it more faithfully. Because the reality is, in ancient times, when a king conquered a city, what he would do is he would parade the former rulers of that city through the streets in a demonstration of his supremacy. Uh, as if to say, there's a new king in town. The old kings are no longer the ones behind me, these guys back here. I'm in charge now. And that's the picture he's painting here. You see, it's not the king leading a bunch of victorious soldiers, but rather leading a bunch of conquered prisoners. And Paul says, that's us. In other words, Jesus didn't just come to save us. He conquered us. He doesn't just come to rescue us. He rescues us by overthrowing us. It wasn't just oppressive powers that stood between us and freedom. It was us that stands between us and freedom. And Jesus comes to us and he kills that in us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this great German theologian, says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Again, I know that's heavy, but why is it important that we start here? Because if we don't start with our deaths, we will never end up with freedom. That's, we'll never arrive at that destination. If we start, because here are the other places that we can start. We can start with the idea that Jesus just came to be an add-on to our lives. That he comes to help us accomplish our goals and to achieve our dreams. That he comes to, to provide us with good counsel when we need to make a decision. That he comes to provide us with emotional stability. That he comes to, to make a few tweaks and changes to an otherwise functioning system. And if we believe that to be true of him, we will never arrive at freedom. We will just arrive at a version of Christianity that's baptizing our old ways of thinking. It's just us dragging the stuff from the streets into the palace and calling it Christian, when in fact, that stuff that Jesus wants to put to death. Make no mistake about it, Jesus came to kill us and in doing so to save us. And this means that when we come to him, in the moment of coming to him, we lay everything at his feet and in that moment are entirely changed. You know, there's this word that we don't use enough in the church anymore because it sounds churchy. The word is converted, but it, it, it literally means to be changed into to something entirely new. There's this great story about St. Augustine that's, uh, I don't think it's true. <laughs> I think it's made up, but it's a great story, so I'll tell it anyway. Augustine was, well, this part's true. He was kind of a party guy before he met Jesus. Um, there were partiers way back then. Um, but then he met Jesus and, and his life was changed dramatically. And one day he was walking down the street and he ran across somebody from his old life uh, who we used to party with. We'll just put it that way. And she calls out to him and says, Augustine, Augustine. And he doesn't respond. He just keeps walking past her. And she says, Augustine, it is I. And he turns around and says to her, yes, I know, but it is no longer I. <laughs> you see, the, the point is so powerful there that what he's saying here is my old life is no longer. It's dead. 
all of my opinions, all of my coping mechanisms, all of my modes of operation, all of my dreams, ambitions, agendas, all of my ideas about the way things are or the way things should be, they die with him and I am now new. It's important that we start with our deaths or we will never arrive at freedom. That leads to the second point. Okay, if, if we start with our deaths, then what does that mean for us now? Where are we now? Our second navigational point. Your life, Paul says, is now hidden with Christ in God. So if the journey began not simply with Jesus saving us, but with Jesus conquering us, then what does that mean now? Who is Jesus now? You see, if he's just our savior, then he shows up and he saves us from whatever dire situation we were in. And now we get to enjoy the benefit of having been saved. But if he saved us by overthrowing us, by conquering us, then he is now our king, not just our savior. He is our Lord and king. And Paul says we are bond servants of Christ. We are citizens of his kingdom. In other words, we belong to him. Our stories, our lives are now swept up into his. Our identities are entirely entrained in who he is, hidden in him. In Galatians, he says this so strongly. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And I think this is actually what the earliest Christians meant when they used the language of body of Christ. I don't think this is some cute metaphor or image. I think they meant it literally. They saw that in the moment they bowed their knee to King Jesus and his spirit came and filled their lives, that their lives as they knew it ceased to exist and they began to live his life in their bodies. They literally saw themselves living the life of Jesus in their bodies by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they became entirely dependent upon him to live. And I know that this is 4th of July weekend and we're not supposed to talk about dependence, but independence. But here's the deal. In the kingdom of God, independence is not a virtue. Dependence is. We are entirely on, uh, dependent on Jesus to tell us who we are, what we should think, how we should act, how we should engage with one another, how we should treat each other, how we should live our lives. We are entirely dependent on him. He is our Lord. He is our master. Our lives, our stories are completely drawn up into his. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be mindless. I'm saying we are supposed to have our minds renewed by Christ, changed by him. So if he's our savior and that's it, then we can just say thank you. We can say thank you for saving us and go about our business. But if he's our Lord, well, then we have to do what he says. <laughs> then we are his for the long haul. We belong to him. And that's what Paul says here. He says, you died. And now as a result of that, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are so wrapped up into him that if anybody wants to find you, they have to look to him. So that leaves us with one question to answer. One more navigational point. Where are we going? So where were we? We died. Where are we now? Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And where are we going? Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This makes me think of a time when I was a freshman in high school. We were driving uh, on a road trip, my school, from Montana to Mexico. 
um, which meant that we drove in a bus through the middle of nowhere down I-15, straight shot. And uh, it was about one in the morning. We're all still awake playing some stupid game um, on, on our road trip. Uh, in the middle of nowhere, it was pitch black outside. And then the sky ahead of us started to get a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, until gradually we came over a hill and I saw laid out in front of me the most lights I had ever seen in my life to that point. Uh, we had come across the city of Las Vegas, which uh, is very underwhelming now, but at the time, you know, for a country kid, uh, was pretty impressive. Uh, and I think about that now in this context, because I think that um, the same is sort of true of this passage. I know it's a dumb story. I promise I'll make the connection. Um, but the idea I used to have around this was that someday Jesus will come back. Uh, and when he does, he will bring the resurrection and the restoration of the kingdom. And in that moment, we will rise into our full inheritance with him. And don't get me wrong, all of that is entirely true. Um, but it's not just about that sudden moment of transformation that Paul's talking about here. He's also talking about um, this process of becoming. Um, so, you know, we talk about the kingdom of God as an already but not yet reality. And then not yet is the part where Jesus comes back. But the kingdom is already present among us. And, and the sense here is not just that something suddenly is going to happen to us, but rather that we are in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus now. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So here's the deal. If our future is, is glory with Jesus, when Christ, who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Then our present ought to be growing more glorious. You know, there's that moment of coming over the hill into the city of Las Vegas where all the lights were revealed. But prior to that, the road was being increasingly illuminated the closer and closer we got. And so if our future is glory, we ought to be growing into glory. In other words, we're not just sort of passively waiting for Jesus to come and snatch us up into his kingdom. We are instead rising to meet him. That's the, the, the picture I have. He is descending to us and we are rising to meet him and we, we meet him in the full revelation of the kingdom. We are active participants becoming ever more glorious, Paul says. In other words, ever more like Jesus. So that's our three navigational points. That's how we can know that we're walking the road. Has our journey come from a place of death, a place where all of who we are is, is, is crucified with Christ, as Paul says? Are we now living as if our lives are entirely dependent on him? And are we becoming more and more like him? Um, those are questions that I wanna be asking ourselves on this journey. Um, how do we know if we're walking the right road? Well, question number one, based on our first navigational point, Am I humbly aware of my own heart and open to the possibility that I may be trying to revive things that Jesus crucified? This is the, the, the question of repentance. In other words, are we living as habitually repentant people, open to the possibility that there is stuff that we are trying to drag out of the streets and into the palace? The question around uh, our second point, our where are we now, is this. Have I not only accepted Jesus as my savior, but also bowed to him as my Lord? Am I willing to do whatever he asks me to do? Am I listening for his voice? These are habits of listening and obedience that we wanna to continue to form and practice. And the third question based on where we're going is, am I becoming more like him? Is his spirit producing the fruit of Jesus in me? Am I becoming, I know this sounds funny, but am I becoming more 
glorious with him? These are important questions that we have to ask ourselves. And this last one is around the habit of Christ-likeness. And you've heard this word I've used now three times. These are habits that we want to form in ourselves as we're walking this road. There are ways in which we participate with the work of the Spirit as he leads us into freedom. And we're going to be talking a lot more about habits uh, here at Canopy. As a matter of fact, um, we're going to be offering a course coming up very soon that that is about habits that form Christ-likeness in you. Stay tuned. You're going to hear more about that next week. But if I had to sum up this message today in just kind of a word or a phrase, it's this, Jesus is everything. You know, Paul says that later in Colossians chapter three, he says here, there is neither Gentile nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And I got to tell you, over these past few months, things have been really disorienting uh, for all of us. For me, for certain, you know, it's been disorienting for me as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, knowing how do I lead myself, let alone church and family through all of this crazy disorienting stuff. And over the past couple of weeks, this message has been so heavy on my heart. The answer, as we all know, is Jesus. I don't want to be overly simplistic with that, but man, he is all that matters. He is all that matters. He's all that we need to be focusing on. You know, he is our past. He is our present. He is our future. He is the road to freedom that we walk. And if we don't walk it with him, if we are not building habits that get us as close to him as possible, day in and day out, closer still, then we will not become more free and we cannot help others become more free. This is how the church uniquely contributes to this season as we get as close to Jesus as possible. So here's my commitment to you. He is all that matters to me and he is all that I want to remind you of over and over and over again. Jesus is all, Christ is all and in all and we're gonna focus on him and in doing so, in doing so, we'll have something to say to the world. We'll have a prophetic voice that can speak into the streets, that can say the palace doors are wide open to anyone who needs a home. We, that's how we become a people of radical justice. That's how we speak redemptively into the world. You see, this isn't about isolating ourselves or just hunkering down. When I say Jesus is all that matters, I'm not saying I don't care about what's happening in the world. I'm saying I care about it so much that I want to go to the only one who has any idea what to do. So, I want to commit again and again to to focusing ourselves over and over on Jesus. He is all, he is all that matters. And he is how we know we're walking this road to freedom. Are we close to him? Canopy, would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you love us. Would you be everything to us? The very air we breathe, the life we live, we live by you and for you and in you. Jesus, we love you. Amen.